Hello, everybody. Uh, today's episode, we had Mira Mateka. Um, I got her name right this time. I felt really bad in the intro. Uh, fucked up her name. I'm not gonna lie. I, I was, I was nervous for this interview. Um, but this is big for the podcast, having a, um, someone who is involved in politics and especially involved in the Libertarian Party, something that I've been a fan of, um, a lot over the last especially a year, year and a half. Um, I officially joined, I believe, six months ago. But I've been kind of familiar with it. I've always been a Republican um, up to that point. But I think Libertarian's a good middle ground. And I think it, you know, we talk about it a lot in the episode. I don't want to say too much. But um, ultimately, it's about, you know, smaller government and giving power to the people. Um, smaller or, you know, if it... You know, like in her case, if you're an anarchist, a lack of government. Um, but the you know the goal is the power of the people, and we kind of talk about you know the narrative and how you know things aren't really what they seem. Um, so if you are into that kind of stuff, I really highly encourage that you listen to this podcast. It was a really fun time. All right, uh, without further ado, here's the episode. You're watching slash listening to the McAllister Hours. I'm your host, Cole McAllister. Um, very special episode today. We are joined by Myra Madecta. I'm so sorry. Mateka. I know it. Mateka. How are you doing today? <laughs> How are you doing today? Good. I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Just uh, another day. It's getting colder out, which I don't like, but I guess it's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, it's Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, so before we get started, um, I just wanted to ask some basic background information about yourself. Um, you know, tell people who you are, what you do, and um, some of your background and that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so I'm Myra Mateka. Um, I joined the Liberty Movement um, during Ron Paul's um, second presidential run. Um, I was a diehard Republican before that. I um, was getting rather frustrated with um, the fact that Republicans didn't seem to be actually moving a Republican agenda mm-hmm. and that they weren't listening to the people as far as um, social concerns, um, which I also you know, lean towards on the Democrat side too. And there was nobody ever um, talking about how we make middle ground and how we actually affect change um, in our country. And it was frustrating. So my husband's my husband said, <laughs> you should look into Ron Paul. And I did a deep dive into Ron Paul, um, became a good fan of him. His, I, I caucused for him for the very first time in my life. Um, and when he didn't, when he received the Iowa nomination, obviously um, during, he won the caucus in Iowa, um, but no place else in the country seemed to be jumping on the bandwagon at all. Um, So I reached out to the then um, libertarian chair of the state party and I said, hey, I want to help with this. How do I help make change? And he got back to me right away. Um, That was Keith Lobby. That was nine years ago. Um, And he said, well, let's work together and let's make um, some county affiliates. Let's let's dig dig in deep and we'll start at the grassroots level. Um, so I helped launch the Lynn County 
um, affiliate for the Libertarians. Um, I then became the District 1 representative uh, for the state party and helped launch other county affiliates such as Blackhawk and Dubuque and Scott County. Um, Polk County had already been established. Um, so just kind of chipping away at our foundation um, to, to ensure growth so that when we had candidates running or we needed to recruit people for certain activist um, activities, yeah. <laughs> um, we, had, we had people available to call on. Um, so that was, that was my big challenge to begin with. And that's how I, how I started the whole, um, the whole libertarian experience. I then went on, I did two terms as the district representative. I then went on to be the co-chair of the state party. Um, oh, wow. I was the person who put on all the conventions. Um, so yeah, I was very, very busy with that. Um, I have four children. Um, their wow. ages, <laughs> their ages range from right now, um, 25 to 11. So oh, it's a okay. big span of, of kids. Um, I homeschooled my youngest daughter, um, up until this last year. Um, I always, the, the main focus of my homeschooling has always been teaching, my kids how to advocate for their own education um, so that they knew how to take personal responsibility for the things that they um, were taking in and learning. And when she came to me and said, I, I'd like to try to go to public school, I want to see what that's like. I couldn't say no because, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's doing exactly what I asked her to do, right? Um, so, but she's doing fantastic. Um, I think having a good solid foundation of, of, of knowing why you're at school and what you're there to do and accomplish um, really gave her a step up to, to be successful um, when she did make that transition. Um, I uh, worked with Dan Berman for a long time um, when he was running for the nomination for president. Um, and then when Joe and Spike got their nomination, um, I, I moved into the Joe Jorgensen campaign. I was a paid staffer for her. Um, I ran the, the Midwest um, district. So I had about seven states under me. And I also worked coordinating their bus tour and all of their rallies and, and events. So that kept me very busy too. I also ran for office twice. <laughs> um, one of those times was while I was homeschooling and working on the state party and running the Jorgensen campaign. So. Wow. I was very busy. Um, so I decided to take a step back from um, the state central committee for a little bit, um, just so I could focus on um, some of the more activist work that I'm doing. Um, so after the Jorgensen campaign, um, Spike never stopped. Spike never yeah. stopped doing his activist activities. He never stopped doing his podcasts. Um, he never stopped doing interviews um, and, and really reaching people where they're at. And that means physically going to these locations where people are having problems in their communities. So I have joined Spike um, to help him coordinate and, and build um, a big central activist um, society um, where we all work together to, to impact change in communities across the, across the country. So that's where I am now. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Wow, uh, really impressive uh, um, 
background and all that. Um, I got in just briefly about me. I got into libertarianism, libertarianism very recently. Um, the Dave Smith, the Michael Mouse. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, um, but yeah, Spike Cohen. Uh, I listened to one of his podcasts. He's a very uh, interesting guy. He has a lot of um, you know good ideas. I follow him on Instagram. He's always posting good stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I love the liberty movement. I love what you guys are doing. It's awesome. I think it's great. I, I love the fact that everybody I meet when, when you're talking to libertarians, they're educated. Mm, um, nice. They're very intelligent people mm -hmm. um, who know their stuff. I don't think you could go to a single Republican or a Democrat and ask them what their party platform says or what it means, yeah. or if any, any of their candidates even follow it. Um, and I'm, I, I've just been highly impressed with the libertarians that I've met. I haven't met one I don't like. So awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's we're a small start, but I think uh, you know, as technology and everything improves, we're you know, we'll get there. Um, let me ask you this. I guess you kind of um briefly went over it, but what was like, you know, what exact you talked about activism, what exactly has driven you to, you know, be a part of the liberty movement and do what you do? Um, I think the biggest um the biggest reason I do what I do is because I want to actually impact change. And I think that we all have recognized that voting for people in a party um, does is not changing anything. In fact, it's making things worse. And if we continue to do the same thing over and over again, it's never going to help our situation. It's never going to help people's actual problems. All it's going to do is push it down the road. Um, you know, I when I ran for office, I, I sat in room a room full of um, West African refugees, and I was being translated into Swahili. You know, because they don't speak English, and um, you know, you have to listen to what these people are actually wanting. They're wanting help, and to say, well, <clears throat> you need to vote for this person, and they'll eventually change it. That doesn't help them right now. Excuse me. <coughs> that doesn't help them pass their citizenship test. That doesn't help them get their driver's license. That doesn't help them um, find community organizations um, where, that will make them successful. Promising people that they will eventually go to some ivory tower and push through legislation that forces other people to solve their problems is not going to be helpful to them. And so when I sit in platforms like that um, and discuss these issues with Republicans and Democrats and they say the same thing always, it's we need more funding. So vote for us, we'll get you that funding and that will help you. I'm, I'm more of a let's impact change right now. Let's think about how we can get together and improve this situation right now. Like how do I, how do I build an organization right here in my own town or in my own neighborhood or right where you live in your apartment building, um, how, how do we help you right now? And we can do that outside of government. And it's crazy because these Democrats and Republicans who sit next to me would say, well, you're not listening to them. You're not, you, they're, they're, they're telling you that people think that they're not intelligent and that they can't do this. And I'm saying, no, I'm empowering them to do this. Let's make it work. I'm not pushing you down the road. I'm not ignoring your problem. I'm meeting you where you are right now. 
Um, so that's one of the, the big reasons that I love the libertarian grassroots movement is because people like Spike fly to Russell, Kentucky, and you know, there's a convalescent home that's going to be taken down by eminent domain and 25 people are going to lose their home because the mayor and the city council members who live in, in the area, like in the neighborhood, don't like the eyesore and they want to build a park. Well, they want to just take this, these people's home away and tear it down. Well, Spike go, flies to Russell, Kentucky. He goes to a, a city council meeting. He rustles a lot of feathers. He gets the news media involved, not just from that area, but from the entire state. He, you know, he has the, the wherewithal to be able to pull media from all over the country if he wants to. And when they gave him pushback, he said, if you don't fix this, when I come back, I will bring 10 times more people with me. You know, and that's, that's what makes me go every single day. Like, that's how we impact people's lives. That's how we stick up for the little guy, because the government is not going to stick up for you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, that's really powerful. The one of the things that I love about the libertarian movement. Um, so again, a little background about me. My father actually ran for county attorney. Um, and he is a judge now. So I have a kind of a, you know, understanding in government from that perspective anyways. Um, and there's something about libertarianism that differs from Democratic Republicans, and that's there's a lack of uh, elitism. I feel like. I feel like there's a very elite process that, you know, if you want to get into those parties and make change yourself, there's a huge process. It's more about knowing the right people than actually going in and making a change. And donating. You have to yep. donate to the right people. Exactly. It's a pay-to-play environment for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I think people in Iowa, there's, you know, Iowa, I think, has one of the better chances of anywhere to have a libertarian because we already have such a lack of federal government oversight in general and it seems to be a lot more, you know, small government focused. I guess I don't know. I don't know where in the spectrum you are in terms of like anarchism or minor or or what's the minimalism? I don't know where you are on that spectrum, but you know the from what I understand the entire, um, you know, what libertarianism is, all, is libertarianism is all about is smaller, you know, making things smaller, having smaller organizations. Absolutely, I am definitely on. Um, I like to call myself an optimistic anarchist. Okay, um, all right, <laughs> kind of like Michael Mouse. Yeah, I, I fully 100% believe that um, I do not need a ruler to rule my life or my family doesn't need a ruler to tell us what to do. Um, I think that we're at a point now, though, um, to be optimistic. Obviously, we didn't get here overnight and we're not going to um, get back overnight either. Um, so I'm more realistic in, in the approach that I would like to, to see happen. And I think a lot of the anarchists in the movement um, are, um, you know, we have Adam Kokesh who wants to be president and just declare it all over, <laughs> um, which I think is fantastic. I love and it and it draws people in. Um, but I think bit by bit, we need to just say we need to take this away. There's no reason for this. Um, and work our way down. Um, but like you were saying, it's a big spectrum. You know, you have the mini-archists and we all the way to anarchists. 
Um, and the libertarian movement and the libertarian umbrella fits all of those people really, really well. I mean, on that spectrum, you can have you can be represented by a number of well-established free think tank people, um, and they put their content out there for you just to to take in, um, and it's all free, and I love it. Oh yeah, and you know, and that's why I love about you know, like I said, like Dave Smith, Michael Mouse, like those people. They're not in it for money. They're really in it to you know push. You know, they truly believe what they're doing and they want to improve things. Um, you said you're optimistic anarchist. Uh, let me ask you this: What makes you optimistic about um, libertarianism in the future? Well, I'm optimistic because it the the movement is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only party in the United States that's actually not losing members. Um, <laughs> we, we are constantly growing. Um, I think during the time that I, I was um, in the state party position, we, we started at maybe, I wanna say 7,000 registered libertarians. Um, and the last numbers I looked, we were around 18,000. Wow. So um, it grows month over month. And it's funny because Paul Pate, our um, state secretary, he um, he sends out emails with the numbers of how many Republicans, how many oh. you know, um, <laughs> Democrats, how many Libertarians. And we always shoot back emails to him saying, oh, look, we grew again. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't come back down. You know, we didn't go down. So so yeah, that's why I'm optimistic. It's a it's a movement that a lot of people can get on board with. I just read a study the other day that um, Democrats between Democrats and Republicans, twenty percent of those polled actually identify as libertarian or having oh. li- libertarian philosophy. So that means twenty percent of those people not only know the word libertarian, they know what libertarianism is about, and they know that they see that in themselves. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's just about taking that extra step and really following mm-hmm. through. No, and you know, I think, uh, I don't know how much you want to get into this later, but like uh, everything with COVID and the regime and the things that have been happening, with that, I think that is really, you know, like the, Dave Smith talks about the cathedral. Um, you know, the cathedral coming down. I really think that that's happening in real time. Yeah, it for sure is. And they're not even being shy about it anymore. (laughs) They're completely blamed. They had that. uh, No, they, they are absolutely telling you the truth now and people should be listening. It's like when I sit in a panel and they say, we have to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. This was years ago before inflation started coming up on us. Um, and, and, and I'm like, why? And they said, well, because we can get more tax money that way. <laughs> You're not even lying anymore. You're not even trying to make a reason. Gosh. You know, it used to be because these people, these poor people, um, they need to make a, a living wage. Okay, well, you're not even going to try to say that. <laughs> you put them in a new tax category. So then they end up making the same amount that they did before. Like, yeah. Okay. It, you know, and it's the same thing with, um, you know, this inflation and and the the supply chain things like that. They're not even trying to say uh, anything that's comforting about it. They're like, well, lower your expectations. 
Gosh. You know, and that's. I'm that, sorry, but my expectations were pretty low to begin with. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure you want them to get much lower. Yeah. No. You know, and yeah, it's it's a whole it's a whole messy system. Um. Yeah. It. I, I really hope for the day that it all comes crashing down. You know. <laughs> um. So I guess for people in Iowa who, uh, you know, are like Republican, Democrat, um, who are maybe not very familiar with the libertarian movement, um, what, what would you say to them? How, what would you say to promote them to join that movement? Hmm. Well, I like to lead by example. So I feel like the people that are around me and that work closely with me, um, or even follow me on Facebook, things like that, um, they, they tend to say, oh, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I feel like a lot of people, especially on the internet, um, libertarians like to walk around with a chip on their shoulder sometimes, or they expect that they have to be loud or shocking to get anybody to listen to them. Um, and I don't think that's the case. Um, I, I So I actually encourage people to just be themselves and to, in your day-to-day life, Think about how you speak to your children. Think about how you carry yourself in a public school, how, how you think about maybe going on a, a, to the school board meeting, how you, you might um, come up with solutions to problems that fit in a libertarian way. Um, it's a good, it, it's a good self look. Um, and it, I think it's the best way to spread the message, honestly. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I I think you know as time goes on, as generations go on, this uh, very binary approach. You know, like um, I'm 26, like so, like my parents' generation. You know, they are in this mold of like, you know, either Democrat or Republican. And you know, as the you know internet come, you know, is coming about and more ideas are flowing. Um, I really, you know, I'm hopeful that that'll come through. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of times people don't understand things like the non-aggression principle. Like we like to throw out words like the invisible hand, like, <laughs> and sometimes we can come across a little sounding a little crazy because we, we expect other people to understand what those catchphrases mean. And, um, you know, if I go, if I go out to random person on the street and I start talking about the invisible hand, you know, they're probably going to think that I'm banana bonkers. <laughs> Um, but in all honesty, it's, it's about talking to people and meeting them where they are and having a conversation and not having a, well, you're a statist because you like, you know, you like your government check. No, that person likes their government check because it's the only way that they know how to survive right now. And if you go around saying, I'm just going to, we should just snatch all of that away. It makes people upset. In, in rightfully so, you're basically telling people, I don't want you to survive anymore. And I think a lot of times that messaging gets gets lost in, in not actually meeting people and understanding what what they want to accomplish. Yeah, I, th- I think it's hard to, you know, people in that situation, whether they're, you know, on food stamps or some other kind of government dependency, it's hard for them. It's hard to show them a way out of that and to show them that, Hey, you don't need the government help, you know, and making people realize that they have a market value and that, 
you know, in a perfect world, you'd be able to go to your business and, you know, give your market value and they would be able to determine all that, you know? Well, and not only that, but helping people understand how the system is actually designed to keep you poor. Mm. The entire system is designed to keep poor people poor. There is no system out there that actually wants to encourage prosperity. And it's unfortunate that people don't see that. Um, I've, I, I, my husband is from the call center industry. I worked in the call center industry. Um, you know, we, we, I've run call centers all over the country. Um, when you have a supervisor that you want to promote, they're doing a great job and you say, okay, we're going to, you know, promote you. We'd like to, you know, make you a center manager. We'd like to do this and this and this for you. And they say, I cannot make $10 more a month or I lose my house. You know, I lose my, my section eight housing. I, I lose all of these things. I can't fit it, you know, and that's hard on my family. I can't move someplace else where my rent is now double so that I can make an extra $5 an hour. They stay, they just Mm -hmm. stay. They don't see the value of um, promoting themselves and learning new skills because they can't afford it right now. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's like with the stim checks this last year, you know, it's crazy. People don't realize you know, the government, they're promoting that they're giving people money, but they're actually making more money in the process because the businesses still have sales tax. So that money just all goes back to, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And in this whole, this whole inflation thing, um, you know, you heard Joe Biden say, no one making under $400,000 a year will have an extra tax. (laughs) We'll just make it so that your money's worth less. We'll make it so that your savings account, your 401k, and um, all of your buying power, we'll make it so that your groceries cost more. But we're not taxing you. We're just making your money less. Yeah. Yeah. They're fluffing it up. They're trying to make it look like something it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a scam. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, well, let me ask you this. Let me play, uh, let me play devil's Mm -hmm. advocate really quick. Um, so, you know, you said you're an optimistic anarchist, uh, what would you say would be the hardest thing to, um, solve or combat if we were in that, um, society? If we were in an anarchy society? Yeah. I, that's a really good question. Um, I, I have a problem with, um, not having a military at all. I'm mm. against us being um, involved in all of the the world's business. I have a big problem with that. It definitely needs to be reined in. But I think we need to have a voluntary army. Again, I'm voluntary, right? Mm-hmm. No draft, no um, none none of this big business stuff that they have going on right now, um, where they lie to kids and and tell them that they're going to have the world and, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, and then they, they make, you know, our veterans coming home suicidal and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's a whole other conversation. Sorry. Um, 
<laughs> but um, I, I would think that not necessarily a standing army, but a, a voluntary army um, that's well trained and well rehearsed is is something I absolutely support. Um, I'm I'm not for being invaded by other countries. <laughs> that's not yeah, a thing yeah. that I'm into. Um, so I guess on that point, I would that's kind of more on a, a miniarchy scale. Um, but I think even anarchists believe that we should that we need to have some kind of protection. Hmm. I I like that. You know, one of the one of the things Michael Malice always brings up is like um, uh, private security. You know how that could replace. Uh, you know, I, in my opinion, I don't think it could replace all of it, but I think a majority of <clears throat> both the police and military. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I and because that opens up a market that gives people more jobs. Um, you know, I wish uh, it was like uh, I have a comedian that I follow, Tim Dillon. I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, he had like a stalker, and you know, he was all like complaining because the police wouldn't do anything. It's like, well, you know, you could hire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a company to take care of that. And they would, you know, since they have a smaller scale, they'd probably be able to help you a lot easier. Absolutely. And the, and the thing about privatizing, um, you know, community policing efforts is that it puts the community in charge on what they consider acceptable um, ways to police their own community, right? And it also puts them in power of being able to fire people that don't, you know, comply with the rules that that community set forth. Um, you can't go around shooting people because they smell like pot. I mean, yeah, you, you can't, you just can't do that. The, the community would not put up with it. The problem with the government owning the police is that they can't do anything about it. They have qualified immunity. They can suspend you or they can put you behind a desk. Um, but there's, there's no actual legal action. If a mall cop shot somebody for smelling like pot, they'd be in jail, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So there's real life ramifications that come to people who are working in the private sector. Yeah. And, you know, I really wish, you know, us talking about all this, I really wish people were able to see that. Um, do you, I don't know, do you see a, I mean, we kind of been talking about already, but I think a lot of the reason people don't, you know, come to libertarianism because there's a lot of the media and cable news and things like that that are, you know, telling them the opposite and they're almost in a way indoctrinated um, to believe this. Um, this might be kind of a, you know, not good question, but what do you think is a good way to combat that as libertarians? Um, well, we need more libertarians in the media, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, and real ones, and I don't mean to like, sound like you're not a real libertarian, but I'm going to tell you that, um, you know, McCain's husband is not a real libertarian. And just because he said something, you know, doesn't make it a libertarian idea. Um, uh, what was her name? Megan, Megan McCain. She was on the, on the top, on the view. Mm, yeah, she was always talking about how her husband was a libertarian and, and libertarian ideas, and I'm not a libertarian. So that's the other thing is that they make it sound like it's a bad thing. You know, it's it's become the the new you know domestic terrorist title, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> like these people like their guns. Domestic terrorist, you know, um, when in reality, it's 
it's not even so much that libertarians enjoy guns, which they do. Um, it's more that we enjoy rights and we enjoy our, our right to be able to protect ourselves and, and to protect our families mm -hmm. and our communities. Um, it has nothing to do with hunting or, you know, showing off your tank in your front yard, which I wish everybody could do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more about, um, I don't need you to have control over how I protect myself. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think in the, in the media, it, it needs to be better represented. And I'm glad that Spike is on shows like Kennedy. She's fine. He's finally, you know, a regular pundit on Fox business. Um, so, I mean, we're getting there, we're getting mm -hmm. some real libertarian traction, but I think that can be helped if we all sent, you know, letters to the editor, which I, I feel like the, the people that are working the grassroots efforts, um, don't do enough. We're not, we're not writing enough. We're not getting published enough. We're not, um, spending time at the, you know, at, at places where we can have booths like pride fest and, um, you know, all, all of these other things that we like to do, um, in our communities in Iowa, I was full of them, you know, the state fair, the, the county fairs, the, the everything, we just need to be in front of people all of the time and we need to show a good representation. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. I think also educating people, you know, um, I can't remember specific names or shows or anything like that, but, um, I remember hearing about how CNN would bring on, you know, quote unquote libertarians, but they would just be spewing like, you know, democratic ideas. They weren't even talking about, you know, libertarian things. It's just, it's crazy how small the echo chambers have really become. How, like you said earlier, like they are just, you know, speaking the truth, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so what was your experience? I know you kind of I guess you kind of already talked about that. Um, what about working with Spike Cohen and George Jorgensen? Maybe kind of go into, I don't know. I know you kind of already briefly glossed over it, but maybe go into more detail. What um, what are they like? And, you know, what was that experience? Um, well, first of all, I thought it was fantastic that the Jorgensen campaign and um, pulled in the the powerhouse of libertarians across the, the country to work on the campaign. I don't know if you're aware, but when um, Gary Johnson ran um, both times, he pulled in a team of professional Republican campaign staff. Um, so this was the first presidential campaign that actual libertarians hmm. um, from across the country were able to get exposure on how to work this campaign. So it was a very good learning experience for everybody. Um, the entire campaign staff worked together to train people how to do things like that was the majority of my job. Um, was to work with the states and be able to say, okay, this is how we put together a document. This is how we put a, tr a press release out. This is how, um, you know, we do all of these things that are going to help you in your regular campaigns um, so that you can learn these skills and you'll be an asset to your state and all of the candidates around you. Um, so that was the that was the greatest thing. Also, getting to network with all of the the top libertarians across the country was fantastic. Mm. Like you get to hear these names, um, you know, of of these people, 
until you work with them and and, and really get to know them, it was a great way to um, to network and and meet people um, who have like minded feelings about things and to be able to bounce ideas off of each other. Like, what's the libertarian way to you know salsa dance in Miami when <laughs> when they uh, when they shut down the bar, you know, and when the police come after you, like it. it it's different than a regular campaign where they were like, okay, we have to plan to get arrested because we're going to do some things that, you know, normal campaigns don't do. Like we're going to possibly go to the state park and there might be people carrying that might be against the law, but we're not going to tell people not to carry either. Um, you know, it might be um, a situation where we always got permits to be places, <laughs> you know, cause they were traveling with this bus and obviously it draws attention and you can't just park a bus anywhere. Um, people get really up in arms about that. Um, but it's just things like what, what happens if we have, if, if more than the state allowed COVID, you know, grouping happens, like what, a, you know, we have to research um, what the state laws were regarding COVID yep. at the time. Um, so if we're in an outdoor park and we have a group of 80 people and the state law says there can only be 20 people there, you know, how do we train people to handle that situation when the cops come and want to talk to, you know, who's in charge and, and what they're going to do about it. So, um, from that perspective that I think that was a different kind of planning than, um, than maybe the Republicans and Democrats don't have to have. I think they probably just, um, we do whatever we want. I think they do less of whatever they want. So. Yeah, they have a they have a constituents and funders to abide to. Yeah, right, exactly, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, and, and Spike Cohn, he's fantastic to work for. He's um, really down to earth. What you see on his podcast is exactly um, how he is to work with. Super fun one of the the wittiest people I know um he's uh so he's he's very good to work with um he's he's a businessman so that hmm. helps too yeah so he knows yeah. he knows a lot about business um so that so when he's he says things like we you know we need to do it this way or um this is how we go about doing x y and z um, he's actually knowledgeable about that. And you don't find that with every podcaster or every, you know, random libertarian who has a show, right? Yeah. Um, he, he knows his stuff um, and he's kind. He's so very kind. Um, he, I mean, he will stand and talk to people endlessly. So when I'm at an <laughs> event with him, and, you know, I'm the timekeeper. I, I'm going to say we've got places to be, you know, we have to move on. You know, that's my job is to interrupt this conversation. And he, otherwise, he will talk. To, he will talk to somebody literally on a street corner all day long. It's fantastic. Damn. That's great. Um, I have a I have a memory when I was younger. I met Mike Huckabee. I remember like it's such a, you know, such a big deal. Him coming in and like, I shake his hand, all that um you know kind of talking before about like the leases and all that like mike huckabee would never do that you know he like none of those people would like go to the personal level that he seems to go to um 
and yeah, I, I I haven't really listened to his podcast in particular, but I listened to him on plenty of other stuff, and I really like him. He's a really smart guy. Yeah. So, and he's the only him and Joe both. That's the other exceptional thing about their campaign. Um, when they were doing their bus tours and they had their stops, they they specifically in their agenda had an hour cut out for questions and answers from people. So just free for all, not vetted. The questions were not vetted by anybody on the campaign team. Um, people just had an opportunity to take the mic and excuse me. Oh, you're fine. Um, and say whatever they needed to say. Hold on just a second. Sorry. Oh, you're good. You're good. Um, and that could go on for hours. We had to, you know, keep keep to our agenda, but um the, the questions that would come out were literally people saying, this is my situation. This is what's happening to me by the government, or this is my fear of what would happen. How do you fix this? And they would address these people one by one. And you would never see Donald Trump do that. No. <laughs> you would never, you'd never see Hillary Clinton do that. You would never see Joe Biden do that. Um, just because they don't care. Yeah, I think it's I, it having random discussions with people. Uh, I try not to get into politics too much, but when I hear people talking, <clears throat> you know, praising people like Joe Biden and all that, like I, mm-hmm. I want to shake my fist and scream at them. It's like, why do you like? What tells you that these people care? You know, like mm-hmm. they're just they, all they do is stand in front of a TV, and that that convinces them that they actually care. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what's the what's uh some of your thoughts? I don't know because you're located in Cedar Rapids, right? Mm-hmm. I um I don't know like how COVID exactly worked over there, but um obviously Iowa didn't get you know we didn't have it as bad as like some places like New York or LA stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. but what have been some of your thoughts about how that has affected Iowa specifically? Um, okay, I will say that one of the things that Kim Reynolds has done that I appreciate is that she hasn't um, she hasn't landed on mandates, and I appreciate that. Um, I feel like um, things like vaccinations um, are a personal choice, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm pro vaccination. I got a shot myself. My family's all been um, vaccinated, but that doesn't mean that it's right for my next door neighbor. And it's not right that somebody would have to lose their job because of it. Um, We weren't vaccinated last year and we were doing the same numbers. Like this, it's the same bell curve that we saw at the last spike. Um, And a majority of people are vaccinated. So, so as far as mandates go, I think we've we've done pretty well as a state. Now she hasn't mm-hmm. shut down. Um, she hasn't gone as far as what state was it? The Texas. That just ne- did that? Nebraska. Nebraska oh. actually um, passed a bill that said that federal government mandates are not okay. going to be enforced in in Nebraska. Now I know the Texas one did get shut down, which I'm confused why, um, hmm. but. I don't know. I don't see a whole lot of people losing their jobs. I know people in healthcare that are working um, at the hospitals 
right now here in Cedar Rapids, they're not losing their jobs. Oh, um, good, good. So that's good. Um, I, I think the bigger states like New York and, and things like that, were other states are learning their lesson. Yeah. You know, so if we fire 40% of our staff, we don't have enough staff to take care of patients anymore. Um, who knew? Yeah. Who would have guessed that? Um, I actually read, I read an article from New York that said um, that one of the hospitals in upstate New York, they were going to hold off on delivering babies. Jesus. <laughs> that works. <laughs> I'm not positive. sure. <laughs> I mean, that seems like the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and so like put, I don't know, I guess this is, you can say what you want about this, but I think to put, you know, the birth of a child under someone having COVID, I think that's a little backwards. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, so yeah, I think Iowa in particular, I think we're fine. I haven't met a lot of people that have lost their jobs because of it. Um, I actually, I also haven't really reached out and asked very many people. So mm. Well, uh, it's interesting. Uh, my my girlfriend, she works at the hospital. She works in the NICU specifically. And uh, they're about to um, experience severe staffing issues because they've decided to um, let go people who are not getting vaccinated. So, I mean, it. yeah, I mean, it, I think that I was good in the fact that, it, you know, has not we have not seen the crazy um, levels of that. Um, and I, I don't think that that is, I don't think that we're going to turn blue. I mean, it's, yeah, I really, especially after this year, I don't think it's going to happen. So, um, but yeah, uh, let me ask you, let me ask you another question, kind of a, um, cause I'm a, I'm a very, uh, I'm a pro uh, cannabis uh, advocate. Um, and have you ever thought, I don't know if how your thoughts or feelings are about that, but um, you know, it's a very libertarian idea to, you know, end the war on drugs. You know, have you, have you ever thought about, you know, maybe trying to push that in Iowa? Absolutely. Yeah. That was one of my um, platforms when I ran. Um, and I think it's more crucial than people give it credit for. I think people at um, face value see end the war on drugs and they immediately jump to, well, libertarians want us all to just be strung out all the time. And, you know, everybody's going to be in danger, <laughs> you know, but the reality of it is that the war on drugs itself is actually putting all of us in danger. It's putting our children in danger because I don't know about you, but when I went to high school, we used to spend all day trying to get somebody to buy us beer, right? So nobody was, was 21. And that was the thing. You spend all day yeah. long, hours, trying to find somebody that would buy us beer. And even then it's like a six pack and we're already ready to go home anyway because it's past curfew, right? But that's because of the restrictions that are put on alcohol. And I'm not pro restriction, but I am pro things not landing in hands of children. Mm. And what my kids experienced when they went to Jefferson High School, maybe I shouldn't even say the high school name, <laughs> they could have any drug they wanted to at lunchtime. You know, there was there's no restrictions to them. They just had to 
pass a note to their friend and say, hey, I want this. And they go out to the parking lot and they've got it in five seconds. Wow. Um, that's not helpful to our children. Yeah. I mean, if it were legal and if it were regulated in a way that kept it out of the hands of children like alcohol, then that's beneficial to everybody. The second part of that is you have these kids that are now gangsters, I suppose. If you if that's Iowa gangsters, I don't know if that's such a thing. But these people learn that how they how they do business is in this hyper forceful um really violent way and these people are then your kids friends they come over to your house they scope out all of the things that you have in your house because you know your kid invites them over and these are, these are very dangerous activities and, and they're in the hands of, you know, 16 to 19 year olds and um, nobody's safe in that situation. Yeah. I mean, they're already willing to be criminals and they're already willing to be violent. That's the kind of people that we're teaching our children are good business people. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's a, yeah, the the drug, you know, the war on drugs has just been awful. Um definitely has created that culture. Uh yeah, I wish you know, like we said with all this, you know, people need to see that that just doesn't work. I don't know. It's you growing up in a conservative environment, like I get it, like that mentality of like, oh, we're just going to make everything illegal and then we're just not going to do it and everybody's just going to be okay. Like, it's like this fantasy world where they're not thinking, hey, you know, people people who are addicted to heroin, it doesn't matter if it's illegal or not. They're going to do heroin. <laughs> now, the question isn't, you know, whether or not they're going to do heroin. It's like, do you think that they need, do they deserve to sit in a cage because they did heroin? That should be the real question. Absolutely. Or should they be fearful to yep. call an ambulance if one of their friends is in trouble. Mm. When your choice is either watching your friend die or calling for help and living in jail, like that's that's a hard decision to make when you're sober. Yeah. Well, and, and with, <laughs> you know, with heroin specifically, like that's a very easy fix for an OD. I mean, that's just a mm -hmm. shot and they're fine, you know? And yeah. people are needlessly dying because it's illegal. Yeah, it's a shot that I th I think police officers in Iowa now carry. I'm oh, I didn't sure know that. They do. Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do now. Um, I know the ambulance drivers do, um, but it shouldn't. You should never fear getting help. Like, and I know a lot of a lot of people are having. They have problems with drugs, and it's because they can't get help. They can't call somebody and say, I need some help because then you get into all this legal trouble. Well, you happen to be a parent. I'm going to take your children away from you. You know, you happen to work at this job. Now you've lost your job and you're also in jail. So good job asking for help. Yeah. And it helps nobody. It, it doesn't help the problem. doesn't help those people get better. If they, you know, if they go to jail and get out, they will probably just go back to doing the same thing. Or end up worse. Yep. Like, um, 
so I, I really think that our focus needs to be more on a recovery side than, um, you know, a, a correction facility. It's not a correction facility. They don't I, correct anything. <laughs> it's an exactly. oxymoron. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. It's funny. Um, no, you know, a, a, addiction to drugs is an illness. It's not crime. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. What uh, What about the uh, what can you say about like the future of your career and the Libertarian Party, both outside of Iowa and inside of Iowa? What, uh, what, what are you looking, you know, what are you guys doing looking forward? Well, I think the sky's the limit. I mean, like I said, Libertarians are incredibly innovative um, people. Like we like to sit around and talk about how we can make things better. A lot of them just like to sit around and talk about it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of us really just want a safe place for our families to live. Um, as far as where we go from here, um, we can, we can do anything. Um, you know, Spike, Spike is, I was just with him in Illinois a couple weeks ago and he did a big speech that I hadn't heard yet. <laughs> That's another thing about working with Spike. You get to hear a lot of different Um, speeches that he comes up with on the fly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he was talking about how we're so focused on how we get to 2% or how, you know, we gain ballot access that we forget that we're going to actually win. And we, we forget that this is, this is actually a political party. Now it's not, um, it's not a social club anymore. It's not a think tank. Um, we're actually going out to um, impact change in communities. And if we want to do that, then we have to start winning. Um, and we have to look at it like we're going to win instead of, well, these are the numbers I need to get to get to 2%. Because 2% is yeah. not going to do anything. We just have to start winning. And I think we're going to get there. Yeah, that's a good mindset. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced too. I think anyone that says they know they're going to vote libertarian or whatever they always kind of get some some jeers and some laughs you know uh yeah, i i voted for joe jorgensen myself last um last election cycle and i got so much crap from that from <laughs> all sides like oh it's a waste of vote and all that but you know i you know think about you know america 1776 you know everything has a small start you know mm-hmm. um yeah. what uh how can uh people get involved you can get involved, um, reach out to your state party, um, start with Facebook. Son, if you did that, you reached yep. out to the state party. <laughs> you, yep. Um, I happen to see your message. I'm, I'm, I float in and out there. Sometimes I've been an admin for years and years and they just refuse to remove me. So sometimes I just <laughs> get snoopy and I go in there and read the messages. Um, in my extra time, in my spare time. <laughs> the little spare time you probably um, have, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, no, that's how you get involved. Um, and if you can't find anybody to help you start a local chapter, I know the Lynn County chapter, um, we meet once a month at a Mexican restaurant. We have some margaritas. We eat some good food. We have some um, good time getting to know how each other um, how their families are, how, um, their lives are going. And then we also get to talk about, um, 
things that are coming up in our community that and things we want to get involved in things that uh, we might want to go out and share some constitutions or you know a world's smallest political quiz and talk to people and get out in the community um, we can't grow if we're just talking to ourselves all, all of the time right so reach out Go to the websites, go to um, start with the national party if you have to see if there's if they know of a local affiliate. Um, yeah. The people awesome. are out there. They they want help. Um, you know, there's more work to do than what we have bodies for. So, yeah, I, I, I you know, I think it's about, you know, people who are like minded uh, stepping up to the plate and, you know, making a change. I, re- I really like uh what you, what you got going on uh myra before we wrap up is there anything else that you want to discuss or anything you want to say nothing i can think of <laughs> got all out awesome. <laughs> i'm not i'm not very good off the cuff <laughs> okay. you're good you're good um this has been a great interview um a real passion project of mine uh i you know i got into libertarianism very recently i'm like i said i'm very into michael miles and dave smith um and, you know, for this podcast, it's not really a typical episode for us, but I'm glad that we got to do it. I'm glad that um, you were here to pop that cherry. So <laughs> <That's cool>. okay, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank uh, you for having me. This is great. Yeah, this is a pleasure. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode with Mira Mateka. Uh, super fun time. It was really fun and interesting to talk to someone from the Libertarian Party of iowa um especially someone who's worked with spike cohen joe jorgensen um people who were running for uh vice president and president respectively um last year who i voted for and uh it was really interesting to hear her take on what it was like working for them and some of the details and you know uh it, it's i i think there's something that's very humble about the libertarian party that you don't find with democrats and republicans um and although it's you know it's small it's growing rapidly um she had stats that i had no idea about and i was actually really impressed uh with you know it it it, you know especially in iowa but you know everywhere in general it's grown way more than anybody would have anticipated at least i would have you know however many years ago you know i feel like gary johnson back in the day was like a joke but now you know it's kind of being taken seriously i like it um all right well stay tuned next week or actually not next week in a few days we're gonna have uh michael m jenny in the podcast i believe that's correct uh he is a local hip-hop artist and rapper and that should be a really good conversation really excited to have him on otherwise hope you guys have all been hanging out having a good time i hope um that you guys learned something if you're new to libertarianism i hope this kind of open you know help maybe open your eyes to you know think about some of that kind of stuff and Yeah. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Peace.